Our theme for this conference is unshaking. And the, the word itself is a very defiant word. It gives the impression of something that has undergone an effort to move it, to destroy it, to bring it down, and has defiantly stood up. And I don't know whether that is your story, but you are one of the unshaking. And it speaks to our world uh, after we've come through COVID. It speaks to Africa after all the many wahalas we have had in our time that we are unshaking. And may the Lord who is our strength keep us unshaking. Amen. I'm going to speak under the theme, we will get it back. We will get it back. And my discourse is going to be rooted from the book of Jeremiah. And I will do an extensive teaching from the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and draw some application from that book. And so we go to Jeremiah chapter 32 and verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah chapter 32 verses 1 and 2. And if you know your Bible well, Jeremiah is in the Bible and in the New Testament, in the Old Testament of the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. In the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. Amen. And we are blessed by the reading and the doing of God's word. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah was, please be seated. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets of Israel. He started his ministry as a very young man. When God called him, uh, he felt he was not qualified because of his youth. And God spoke to him those memorable words that before you were born, I knew you, and so on and so forth. He was a priest of God, which was quite interesting because Jeremiah was both a prophet and a priest. Most prophets were not priests, but he happened to be both of them, a prophet and a priest. And he was from the town of Anathoth. And Anathoth was in the land of Benjamin. Now, if you know your Old Testament well, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was made up primarily of two tribes, of Judah and Benjamin. So Jeremiah 
was of the tribe of Benjamin, so he was part of the southern kingdom. And his ministry started during the reign of Josiah, continued through the reign of Jehoiakim, and through Zedekiah, and to the governorship of Gadalia. And he prophesied about the end of the old and the beginning of the new. Jeremiah is a very significant prophet. He and Isaiah are two of the major prophets whose works introduced what we now call the New Testament or the New Covenant because they prophesied that the old was coming to an end and the new was beginning. Now the passage we looked at now comes from Jeremiah's prophecy to Judah at the time that Zedekiah is king of Judah in the 10th year of the king. And uh, if you read Jeremiah 32, which I read, it stands between Jeremiah 31 and Jeremiah 33. In Jeremiah 31, uh, God, through Jeremiah, speaks about the new covenant. And in Jeremiah 33, he speaks about the restored nation. And then there is 32. So 31 is a bright picture. 33, a bright picture. 31, very dark. So if you're reading your Bible, you get to Jeremiah 31, it's beautiful. 32, very dark. 33, beauty again. And it is that, that spot that I'm going to comment on. Now, I'm going to give you a background so you can appreciate what is happening. Now, during this time that Jeremiah is prophesying, Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, has besieged Jeremiah, uh, Jerusalem, and is just about to conquer Jerusalem. And at that time, the king's prophets, the hired prophets, were prophesying to the king that they would overcome Jerusalem, uh, king, king uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But Jeremiah kept saying, you're going to lose this battle. You're going to go into captivity. The king will go into captivity. Everybody will go into captivity. And so he was put into prison for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. It is at this time that Jeremiah speaks. Now at this time something has happened to Israel. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, had been conquered already by Assyria. So they are gone. And the southern kingdom is besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. They are about to go down. And in the midst of that, God speaks to Jeremiah. It's a very auspicious time, but also a very depressing time. And God speaks a very special word to Jeremiah from verse 6 to verse 7 of chapter 32. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, Hanamel. The son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you saying, buy my field, which is in Anathot, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Now I want you to consider what is happening here. The land is at siege. Babylon is at the city gates, just about to bust in and take over Jerusalem. 
the people are running from Jerusalem. There's chaos in the land. Everybody's trying to escape Jerusalem. It's a time of uncertainty. And in the midst of that, God speaks to, Jer uh, to Jeremiah and says, your nephew is going to come to you to sell you land. The land is about to be taken by Nebuchadnezzar. You yourself have been prophesying that Jerusalem will be taken captive. And in the midst of that, God says, hear my word to you, Mr. Jer Jeremiah. Hanamel is going to come to you to sell you land from your village, Anathoth, which is already been conquered. And when he comes, buy the land. <laughs> Who buys land from a city that is about to fall or is always, almost falling? And true to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, Hanamel shows up in verse 8. And the passage says, Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. <laughs> you know, these are some of the prophecies you don't want to hear. There are certain times God speaks to you and says, Lord, can you say this to somebody else? Who buys land when the country is down? Anathoth is Jeremiah's hometown. It's one of the lands that was reserved for priests in the tribe of Benjamin. And the village is already under Babylonian control. So to purchase that land would be absolutely foolish. So the question is, what moved Jeremiah's nephew to go to his uncle who is in prison and sell him land from a country that is under foreign control? There may be two causes. There is an immediate cause. Hanamel probably felt, you know, my uncle has been in prison for a long time. He's in the king's prison, and probably he has no clue what is happening. And uh, there, were, there was no WhatsApp then, there was no Facebook, no BBC. You couldn't get the news. So Hanamel is thinking, let me play a fast one on my uncle. Go to him, visit him in the prison, tell him the family land is for sale. By right, you should buy it, and I'm selling it to you. So he assumes probably his uncle has no clue what is happening. That's the immediate cause, the greed of a nephew. But behind the greed, there is a remote cause. God is using the greed of Hanamel to speak to Jeremiah. And the Lord needed to show the most impossible situation to Jeremiah. An external enemy has conquered the land 
And at the same time, an internal enemy is taking advantage of the situation to dupe his uncle. I don't know about you when you have an enemy that is trying to conquer you and internally your own people are trying to dupe you. It quite mirrors the situation in most African countries. Externally, we have people who are bashing us all over, economic trade arrangements that are not friendly to us. They're trying to take us over. And you would think our nephews and cousins would be very sympathetic, but they're trying to sell us non-existent land. I'm not going to go any further that way. So in Hanamel's mind, he's about to cheat his uncle, get some quick money, run away from town before the Babylonians take over the city. In God's mind, I need to speak a message to Jeremiah, and I want to show him that I can take the most impossible and ridiculous situation and turn it around. So in the convergence of human greed and divine purpose, God begins to work out his purposes. So in verse 9 of chapter 32 of Jeremiah, we read these words from Jeremiah. So I bought the field from Hanamel. If you were there, you would say, are you crazy? The son of my uncle who was in Anathoth and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neria, the son of Maaseah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Now, if Jeremiah is making a very bad deal, he's doing it very competently. He's very meticulous about how he's going about this arrangement. He paid for the land, 17 shekels of silver, signed the deed, sealed it, make two copies of the deed. One sealed in a safe for future reference, and one that was available and open for current observation. And he gave the deeds to Baruch and says, hold on to this. It may come in handy one day. Took two witnesses to observe what had happened. So you see he's very elaborate about what he's doing. If anyone asks Jeremiah, why are you doing this? He will probably say, I don't know. But God says I should. It doesn't make sense, but it seems I must do it. From verse 13, 
Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed in this land again. The message simply says you will get it back. We will get it back. Somebody say I'm going to get it back. It seems like an impossible situation. And sometimes, I don't know about you, when I look at the African condition, you just feel like it's, it's not, never going to work. We try to figure it out. Doesn't get figured out. Externally, it's not working well for us. Internally, we are worsening the situation. But God says to Jeremiah, you will get it back. Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed in the land again. So in verse 24 to verse 27, chapter 32 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is speaking to God. He's not crazy after all. He says, look talking to God. Look, if you can't see it, see. The siege mounds, they have come to the city to take it. The city has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans to fight against, who fight against it because of the sword and the famine and the pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There, you see it. This guy is audacious. And in the midst of all of that, <clears throat> verse 25, you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. He's basically saying to God, what at all do you have in mind? Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I don't know what impossibility you are dealing with. The situation seems like it has no redemptive value. That nothing good can ever come out of it. It's lost, it's gone, and it's gone forever. But God speaks to Jeremiah and says, Mr. Prophet, I am the Lord God. Is there anything too hard for me. Jeremiah is literally asking God, are you serious? You telling me to buy this land? Are you serious, God? And God says, yeah, I'm serious about it. Sometimes you ask God, are you serious about Africa? 
Are you serious about Nigeria? Now let me add Ghana so I will balance the equation. Are you serious about Ghana? It's like somebody prophesying and says the Lord will visit Nigeria, great things will happen. And you say, God, are you serious? Can't you see? The city is gone, the nation is gone, and Hanamel is selling non-existent land to us. I came here with a profound sense of prophecy and destiny that in this land, on this continent, in this nation, where it seems like Babylon has already taken over and Hanamel is messing what has been left, God says to Nigeria, I am the Lord God and there is nothing too hard for me. What he tells you to do today may seem crazy. Our prayer today may seem senseless. People are running. Everybody's going to Canada. You still believe there is hope for Nigeria? You still be, believe there is hope for Ghana? I came to announce to somebody in Nigeria, the Lord God says, there is nothing too hard. Nothing too hard. And in verse number 44, God says to Jeremiah, men, I suppose women too, men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them, take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. So basically, what God did with, with Jer Jeremiah is a prophetic action. Jeremiah and Isaiah, and to a large extent Ezekiel, were demonstrative prophets. They didn't just say the word, but they acted out the prophecy. So what God made Jeremiah do was to indicate that everything he's making Jeremiah do was going to become the normal of Judah sometime in their future. He says, men will buy fields for money. In other words, there will be commerce. The land was taken by sword. But he says there will be an era where violence will not be the way to acquire wealth. Because people are going to do genuine businesses. They will buy land with money. Then he says that contracts will be honored. Civility will be established in the land. And people will make deals, they will sign contracts, and those contracts will be honored. I say to you in Nigeria that there is coming a time when covenants will be honored, contracts will be honored, documents will be honored, laws will be honored. Thus says the Lord.
And then he says, those who run away from the land will return to the land. Somebody say, I'm unshaking. It looks crazy, but I'm unshaking. Doesn't make sense, but I'm unshaking. It's chaotic out there, but I am unshaking. We are electing people we don't like, but I am unshaking. We may not like the politics of the nation, but I am unshaking. Because we are coming into an era. And that era, we, we are almost at the doorstep of that era. Where the craziness will give way to order and stability. That is exactly what God is telling Jeremiah. It's crazy. Everybody is running. You are in prison yourself. But I'm going to reverse the situation. I live for the day of Africa's return. It is said we used to build pyramids. It is said we taught the world mathematics and algebra and engineering. Those days will come back. And God says there will be a generation that will live out this truth and this promise. Men will buy fields for money. Contracts will be made and honored. I don't know about you, but in Ghana, you know, when you buy land and you have the documents to your land, uh, next day you see somebody's building <laughs> on your land. And you wonder, what happened? I, I thought I had the documents. Nobody respects your document. The building is the document. And whoever builds on the land claims the document. That crazy era will come to an end. So this prophetic oracle from Jeremiah can be applied at three levels, and I'm going to apply them three levels. The first application, it represents what Christ did for us through his death and resurrection. We were like the land in Anathoth. We were gone. Babylon had taken over. We were worthless. Nobody wanted to buy the land. We were a lost cause. In Adam we died under the control of a demonic system. Nobody would pick us. Nobody would pity us. And then we were sent to a man in Galilee called Jesus. Would you buy this land that has no value? And he bought the land not with 12 shekels of silver, but with his own blood and he signed the seed and he sealed it and preserved what he has done he bought us back we are God's houses and vineyards 
that have been repossessed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ, your life can be the worst. But there is redemption in Christ Jesus. What nobody wants to buy, God can redeem. The second application, it speaks to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It represents what the church can do to the nations we live in. We are the Jeremiah's of our continent. We are the Jeremiah's of our country. Our land has lost value. Our people have lost hope. I don't know whether it's happening here in Nigeria, but in Ghana, people wake up, go to the Canadian embassy. I don't know what Canada wants to do in Africa, the second colonization. Nurses are going, doctors are going, people are going to do their masters never to come back. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, you know, I just got a Canadian uh, scholarship and uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to study my masters, I'll be back next two years. You know they are not coming. The land is besieged. Ignorance, poverty is taking over the land. Governance systems broken down. And the people who hold what is left, the Hanamels, are duping those who are left. But in the midst of all of that chaos, there is a Jeremiah who can buy back the land and redeem the land. When we gather like this and we pray for our nation, I know some of you don't want to pray for your nation. You want to pray for breakthrough. You want to pray for favor. Turn it around for me. But God's salvation although it's personal, is also national. God does not just want to save you in isolation. He saves you with your family. He doesn't want to save you and your family in isolation. He wants to save you in your family and your community. And he doesn't want to save you and your family and community in isolation. But he wants to save everything that belongs to you. Our salvation is valueless until the land is redeemed. Otherwise, the pressure for sin will be greater and greater. Because good Christians go out there, the system is so crooked. You cannot be straight to survive. The only way to survive is also to become crooked. We must not push the church into a crooked world. We must seek that the people who are right with God will also live right in their nation. And that is why we must seek the redemption of the land. So there is a second application to everyone here. You are Jeremiah. Somebody say, I'm Jeremiah. And God is bringing the land to you. 
God is giving Nigeria to you. God is giving Ghana to me. To us as the body of Christ. We have the power of redemption. That is what Hannah Mel said to Jeremiah. You have the power to redeem the land. It was a prophetic statement from a crook. But he was, he was prophetic. Just like the high priest of Jesus' time was a crook. But prophetic. That one man must die for the sins of the people. He was right. So, Hanamel was a crook, but he was a prophetic crook. <laughs> he was saying to Jeremiah, you're the only one at this time who can redeem the land. Not the king. He's going to go into captivity. His eyes are going to be plucked out. This generation is going to captivity. You are in captivity now because he's in prison. But here in this prison, you can redeem the land. I came here to say to House on the Rock, you will redeem the land. I know if I said you'll be rich tomorrow about this time, the amen will be bigger. I say to you, you will redeem the land. Because of you, there will be a new Nigeria. Because of you, the land will be right. Because of you, contracts will be honored. Because of you, lands will be bought. Property will be acquired. Wealth will be developed in honesty, in truth, with integrity. Because of you. There is a third application. It speaks to us individually. God is telling us as individuals that he will restore and, and rebuild. For a family that feels broken, joy and gladness will be heard in your family again. For someone who had a bad medical news, and they told you, no hope. God says, there will be restoration. And you will get your health back. Healing will come back to you. It has been taken for a season. But God is able to restore health to his people. And bring life to his people. For someone who failed at what they are doing, God says success and favor shall be proclaimed over your works again. Everything that Jeremiah did was a prophetic sign. So how can God turn this situation around? I want you to listen to Jeremiah's prayer in verse 16. To verse 19. Now when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch the son of Neria, I prayed to the Lord saying, Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. 
There is nothing too hard for you. You show kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great and mighty God whose name is the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work. For your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Our Lord God, you've made the heavens and the earth and there is nothing too hard for you. When I think about our continent and I think of the promise of the independent struggles from the 50s and the quality of leaders who emerged immediately after independence and the depreciation we have seen in leadership over the years, the stalwarts, academic minds, thoughtful people, people of service, people who love their nation, love their people, wanted to do good by them. And then you see what we are saddled with, not only in this country, but everywhere, in my beloved Ghana. The thing about Africa is that our story is almost universal. I don't know where they go to study together. But somehow they manage independently in their nations to create the same narrative. And so you go from nation to nation to nation to nation. And I can see it in the eyes of the young people. Is there hope? The land is gone. What is left is being butchered. The wealth is gone. What is left is being butchered. And in the midst of that, there are people going to church and praying and interceding and crying to God and asking God to do something. And if you look on, you think these guys are so crazy. They don't even know what is happening in the world. But I'm telling you, those people praying in the church who have no job, have no wealth but prayer, and all they do is cry. Some of the prayer is amiss, but a lot of it is right. Even if it is amiss, their heart is crying to God. Their lips may be saying the wrong things, but their heart is crying to God. They're crying for redemption. They're crying for help. They're crying for the land to be redeemed. They're crying for salvation for their people and for, for, for their children and for their children's children. I came to announce to every Jeremiah the acts of prophetic work that God has called you to do. They may seem senseless at a point. But God says there is nothing too hard for me. There is hope. There is life. There is reconstruction. I started preaching African restoration probably about 40 for 40 years. I've preached and preached and preached and preached. Somebody said to me, 
Why do you do it? Can't you see? It's not working. So I said to the person, which is easier? The thing is bad. And I say it's bad. Or the thing is bad. And I say it will be better. Which is the harder work? The harder work is, it is bad. It will be better. The easiest thing to do is to say, it is bad. It is bad. They are corrupt. They are corrupt. There is no hope. There is no hope. The easiest thing is to give up. But God did not call us to do the easy thing. And so I've been preaching this message for 40 years. And in the process, I have seen worsening conditions. But that happened to Jeremiah too. He preached and preached and preached and preached and never saw anything happen. But when he was going about prophesying this word, a young boy called Daniel, who used to live in the streets of Jerusalem, heard the crazy prophet Jeremiah saying, land will be bought again, property will be bought again. And this boy was taken into captivity, but he never forgot the crazy prophet called Jeremiah who used to walk in the streets of Jerusalem screaming reformation and transformation and reformation and somehow this boy Daniel had grown had been in captivity for so long about 70 years he's been there 67 years in Babylon by that time, Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Nebuchadnezzar's son is gone. The Persians have come. The first Persian king is gone. He's in his last era of his life. And Daniel remembered when I was 15 years old in Jerusalem, there was a guy called Jeremiah. And he used to say that land will be bought again. The people will return to the land. And I remember Jeremiah said, it's going to take 70 years. And by my calculation, we are close to 70 years. Jeremiah is dead, but there is a generation that will inherit the prophecy of Jeremiah. That is why I am preaching it. That is why I preach it. I may not see it, but there will be a generation that will remember. There was a crazy preacher who believed in the future of Africa. I was a young boy, I was in children's church, but I remember, and that generation will return. And true to the word, land was bought back in Jerusalem for cash. Deeds were honored in Jerusalem. It took 70 years, but it happened. So don't give up. Pastor Paul, you don't give up. You don't give up. We keep announcing. We keep announcing, we keep announcing, we keep announcing because there will be a, gener a generation that will remember. And when they do, everything God is speaking now will become a reality in their time. And may the Lord give us the passion never to stop the announcement. It's a new day for Africa. It's a new day for Nigeria. Nigeria will be the leading nation in the world. 
the GDP of Nigeria will overtake the United States. Bishop Jake, sorry about that. There will be time. Nurses are coming from Canada, and nurses are coming from America, and nurses are coming from the Great Britain to work in hospitals in Nigeria. There will be a reversal. There will be a return. I dare to believe that. I dare to proclaim that. And we dare to hold on to that faith because God says there is nothing too hard for me. Lift up your hands to heaven and let us pray for our beloved nation, Nigeria. And we just want to pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, redeem the land. Lord, redeem the land. Lord, redeem the land. Just pray. Pray for the land. Pray for the people. Forget about the leaders. Just focus on the land. For the children. For the children's children. To the children's children's children. Redeem the land. 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 Redeem our land. Redeem our people. Turn it around for us, Lord. So we stand before your presence, Heavenly Father. Our Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your outstretched arm. You looked upon the chaos of the earth and you said, let there be light. Look upon the chaos in our land and declare light and bring order to our world so that in this place the prayer of the saints and the prayer of the righteous will become answered may we live in prophetic fulfillment may our children live in prophetic fulfillment may our grandchildren live in prophetic fulfillment May our great-grandchildren live in prophetic fulfillment. May that generation that will rise up, the Daniel generation, the generation of Zerubbabel, who will return and confirm your word to your people. Let that generation rise, O oh God. And let them step into this prophetic destiny. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless Nigeria.